Welcome to Season 3 of Should We? A conversation with friends about the everyday choices that make us. Brought to you by MailChimp. This episode is a conversation across continents between Diana in San Francisco and our friend, the talented radio journalist and producer, Louisa Beck, in Germany. The two of them talk about a lot of different tools they've used to learn how to listen more closely to themselves and others. And their conversation starts off with the topic of making friends. Lisa and I once recorded an episode where we were like, where do friends come from? How does one make friends? Do you feel like you know how you make friends? Oh, that's a good question. Um, this weekend, I was I was at a workshop, and uh, and there was like this one woman who we were doing this role play together, and um, and it was really interesting. It's in German. There's something called Gestaltkommunikation. It was called dynamische Aufstellung. Okay. It sounds really like woohoo, but like, okay. So the idea is to take some sort of decision you're making or some sort of like thing you're thinking about, um, and to find ways to like to externalize it. Right. So there's one exercise was, which was like you partner up with someone and the other person um, is the thing that is, is your question, like embodies the question or like embodies the thing that you're struggling with or the thing that you're trying to decide. And then they walk around like in a circle and then you start asking them questions and they say like how they feel and how they're like the problem or the question or the conflict is like experiencing your question. So you kind of, you just have a dialogue with the thing. And it was, and it was like, we were like, so I, I met this woman and we were laughing so much like during the course of it. And, um, and it was so fun to do this thing with her because she was having, like she said her left side was, was really tense and she thinks it's like, it has all, all sorts of, all sorts of reasons. She was like trying to figure out what it is. And, um, and which is, it's just like a small example, but like we were laughing about it and kind of making fun of her left side <laughs> and wondering why it's so tense and like why her whole body is like a pain there. And, and then at the end of the workshop, um, at the end of the workshop, I was debating whether to ask her for her contact information because I was like, I want to be friends with her, but I'm also like shy about at like, is it weird for me to just be like, oh, we just did this workshop thing together and like, can I now have your number? And then I, so I didn't ask her. I was like, I kind of like waited in the waiting room um, and just like talked with, with some of the other people. And then she just like left. And as soon as she left, I was like, no, I just like lost a friend. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm never going to see her again. Like, I didn't even figure out like when she, like it was at a yoga studio. So she was like, I come here regularly to take classes. I was like, I didn't even figure out like when she comes, like, oh my God. And then, and then like I went outside and I was like moping and like on my way to the Uban and I was like so sad. And then I like get to the Uban platform 
And she was sitting there in a chair waiting for the Uber. <laughs> and I was so happy, like almost ran up to her and hugged her. And then, and then, yeah, and now I got her number and, and now we're going to, I think, hang out. But like, that was like a, like a random thing. But yeah, I, I guess, I guess it's, it's, it happens in all sorts of ways. I like started, um, going to this CrossFit gym in Banco, which is like really, it's it's a very interesting place, but there are all sorts of characters there. And like I kind of feel like it's like there some of them could be my friends, but we haven't gotten to that stage yet. I don't know. All, all sorts of ways. I sometimes through radio I meet people for sure. I've met people through radio. Um that's been really nice. But it's also it's 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 hard it just takes time and I'm like an impatient person and I want like I want to have my group like right now, you know, and, and it's, it just takes time, especially with Germans. <laughs> ah, that is, that is true in my experience. When I was in Germany, I did not have very many friends for a very long time. Um, but eventually by the end, I had some really close friends. So it is true that it takes time. However, Louise, I must know more about this workshop. This has become my new fascination. What was it called again? It was called Dynamisches Aufstellen. I think it's related to Gestalttherapy, which I like knew nothing about, except I think my mom mentioned it once to me while she, cause she was doing some workshop. And then, yeah, and I was like, it was, I, I kind of decided to go last minute, but my roommate, she has been going to workshops like this um, because she's studying to become a yoga teacher, which is like a four-year process here. Like she, so she goes to a bunch of workshops mm -hmm. and she, she told me about it and then just thought like, hmm, I would really like to learn methods to try to just externalize things that I'm thinking about because I think it's so easy to like get stuck in in my mind and to like think things through and yeah I want to learn some methods for doing that and so there was one one thing that we did like we worked a lot it sounds so lame and so like ooh, it actually doesn't to me I'm fully bought in <laughs> I think it's nice to just know that a tool set like that exists you know that I hadn't tried before and maybe it'll come handy someday yeah, it sounds a lot like the exercises we do in my coach training workshops, which is part of why I'm so intrigued by it. Uh, what else is on your mind? One thing I've been struggling a lot with is just like figuring out how to actually not be working all the time. Because <laughs> I, I, I feel like I, especially with juggling these different projects, like, like I work best when I can actually spend like at least a full day on one thing and really immerse myself in it, especially with when I'm thinking about stories. Like once I, once I see the tape and once I have all the components of a story in my head, it's so much easier for me to puzzle and think about how to structure it and, and, and where to find the tape. And then I like generate a bunch of ideas. But like right now I'm, I'm kind of forced to switch back and forth between different projects and, and and that is it's super exhausting. And so yeah, I've just been thinking about like I think I want to apply for jobs. I mean, being a freelancer has its ups, but it, it definitely has a lot of downs, <laughs> downsides. And I'm so yeah, I, I'm look, I'm like applying for jobs. I'm trying to think about 
where and how and how to live a life where I have some more time to for just like family and friends. I've been thinking a lot about that, especially here where people don't work all the time and it's nice, you know, to like get to spend a Sunday at a museum or something and not not working. So, but it's yeah, I don't I I haven't figured out how to make that work yet. Well, it sounds like left to your own devices, you would just work as much as you'd need to in the service of what you're doing and you're trying to do a lot. So, so there's no natural limit besides your health. And if you had a job, maybe there would be other natural limits that other people experience. You see other people experiencing natural limits that let them spend a Sunday with their family. But I'm wondering how much of that comes from the job and how much of it comes from their personalities. Like where where they're just setting themselves, like they're setting limits. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, if I had like a kid running around, like you can't be like, you know, go take care of yourself and, you know, like I'm going to, I'm just going to keep working now. Like I, I think there's, there's external limits that people, that force you to stop, you know, and like force you to, like, I think, I think a pro- another problem is like, I'm not that efficient sometimes with stories. Like, because I, I can get so immersed in it and I, and I want to do it really thoroughly. And then I go like above and beyond sometimes what I really need to. And, and there's this, um, I want to challenge myself actually to, to not do that, to not like always go the extra mile and like do a second interview, even though I might only use one just in case the second one is better. Like those are things that like, yeah, just like to maybe instead of a hundred and like ten percent go like ninety five, you know, <laughs> like like that might that might suffice. Yeah, it is so hard to know what's enough, and playing with it can be really uncomfortable. I'm thinking about my own life where, uh, similarly, like I have a habit of going above and beyond partly because I identify as someone who goes above and beyond. And, you know, sometimes I'll ask myself, what would it look like to do the 20-minute version of this? You know, like, Mm. there's that, like, 80% of the outcome for 20% of the effort. Yeah. Adage. And it's like, you know, with 20% of the effort, do I get to 80? Do I get to 70? Do I get to 90? Is that even knowable? Like, is anything, you know percentages less than 100% or slightly more than 100%, is that even discernible? Because what you're going for is like enough, you know, and until you've hit enough, how do you know where you're at? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's where these structures like school provides where there's just a deadline and that's the deadline and you can pull an all-nighter, but it's still due that day. And it's something. It may not be everything you wanted for your end of semester project, but it's something. And then you get a chance to step back and evaluate and then do a new project instead of like continuing on the original project until it's perfect. You get to like start afresh with all the knowledge you got from trying to do it in the time allotted. Mm -hmm. Was that your relationship to projects in school or no? Yeah, definitely. I mean, but but I also I pulled a lot of all-nighters like because because I felt like I had to like rewrite huge chunks of this essay or it wasn't good enough or articulate enough or whatever. 
but yeah, you definitely, I remember taking one, uh, this was philosophical methods, which was like, we had to write an essay every week. And then we sat down with a tutor and like, I mean, they just took it apart, like every argument. And I just remember like, I think the first essay that I got back, I got a C on and I was like, I had never, ever gotten a C in anything, you know, like ever. I remember after that, I just like, I I put everything into that class and I like I pulled so many all-nighters but it was so good to actually be forced to start over every week it's like I can't it, there was a cutoff and I and I had to write another essay the next week so if I you know I could only pull so many nighters the first week because then I'd be so tired that I couldn't do a good job the second week you know so there was it was a really good um yeah it was a great exercise and it ended up like being one of my favorite classes, I think, just because it felt more like a methodical, like a practice that just repeated every every week. And it, it was, yeah, it was very good. Can you imagine creating that for your life now? Or is it like hopeless? The thing I think right now, and this is, I think, one of the hardest parts for me for freelancing is that. I do actually really like to plan ahead and like minimize all-nighters that I have to pull like because they they really stress me out and I don't actually work that well under enormous stress um but but the nature of freelancing is that a lot of projects are really unpredictable because like um sometimes you'll get an assignment to do you know three different things within a really small like short time span and then I said no to one other project and then another project fell through. And so then I'm like, oh, shit, I could have said yes to this. And like, so there's, there's so much, um, of just project management and, and because you're working with these different clients and stations and stuff and they're not always, they're not always that reliable or sometimes editors get slammed with a deadline and won't get back to you or like push a deadline. So there's, there are a lot of factors that are really hard to predict. And so I'm, I'm trying to find a way to like have regularity, but it's, it's hard because it like just piles all up sometimes. And then, um, yeah, so I'm, I don't really enjoy planning because I feel like a lot of time is just spent trying to, trying to not get it to pile up and, and to have regularity. And so that's one thing that I miss about having a regular job, um, where, where, where there's just more predictability. Yeah, I always think about freelancing versus a job as like the job is American elementary school where you have one teacher who teaches all the subjects mm-hmm. and they know the homework you're getting yeah. in the other subjects because they're the uh, they're the source exactly. of it. And then in like American middle school, you'll have a different teacher for every subject and they don't talk to each other. And you could have, <laughs> you could have a mix of, uh, a mix of classes that's unique relative to your classmates. That's actually more true in high school. You know, eventually you get to this place where in middle school, high school, college, like you can have a completely, a completely like unintegrated set of responsibilities and they tend to all pile at the, the end of the semester and you just have to deal, yeah. you know, but that elementary school model of holistic responsibility where you can trade things off within 
within one umbrella, like the elementary school teacher would trade off giving you math homework versus giving you reading homework. And at a job, you can, with a group of people who share the same goals, be like, is it more important for me to do this or is it more important for me to do Mm. this? And like, which is more important to do on time? And you have that freedom, and that's not the case with freelancing because no one cares. And then imagine, so in addition to juggling like the different amounts of homework that teachers who don't talk to each other give you, like an additional part, a huge part of the work is just trying to get the classes in the first place, you know? <laughs> like because you're pitching ideas and you have to be like generating ideas and researching ideas and pitching in order to know whether you have a class at all, you know? So there's that additional (laughs) component as well. Like trying to build up to a full class load, but to do that, you need like a funnel of potential classes, but nobody is watching to make sure that just the right number of them work out. Exactly. Yeah. Only your bank, yeah. your like your, your <laughs> account, which mine is suffering right now terribly. Um, so there's like, yeah, there's there's that controlling factor or, or measurement. But it's it's been it's been a lot. So I'm trying to strategize about how not to be working all the time anymore. I haven't figured it out yet. That's partially why I went to the Gestalt thing. I was like, I need to, I need to figure out some different methods for looking at this from different perspectives. How about you? Have you been doing, like, have you been going to workshops regularly now? Or is your coaching program, is it, it's still ongoing, right? It's ongoing, yeah. So the program that I'm doing through CTI, the Coaches Training Institute, is five three-day workshops across five months. So I started in early November, Mm -hmm. and I have one more workshop coming up at the beginning of March, actually next weekend. And so that's the final three-day workshop. And then there's a fork in the road where if you want to continue, which I do, you can go straight into certification, Mm -hmm. which is all about uh, practicing being a coach and coming out as a coactive coach, a certified coactive coach, which is the model that CTI espouses. And then there's a different program called the Coactive Leadership Program that's all about taking the tools of coaching and embedding them within yourself and developing self awareness and a strong center from there that you can use in all the things you do in life. And so while it's possible to do the leadership program and coaching certification simultaneously, it's not recommended because they're both extremely intense and (laughs) require a great deal of time and introspection and uh, emotional availability. So I made the decision to do the leadership development program first Mm -hmm. because I am the common denominator in my life. And so I carry me wherever I go. You know, and like just that that process of being like, I'm seeing this, but is there anything in it? Mm. Um, and being really like playful and unattached to being right, but being really focused on like getting through to truth and meaning together. That I think is such a powerful model for mm, life. Definitely. So much of it is that courage of just putting anything on the table, which I know really well from my work as a product manager. Like a lot of what I do is just putting forward something that is 
thoughtful, but probably wrong, you know, like making that first proposal and being utterly egoless about whether it's the thing that ends up going through, but just kickstarting a discussion with something specific that people can react to and say this and not that, Mm. you know, you can't say this and not that when you're talking in abstractions, you have to say like, this part of what that mock up you did, yes, that part, no. And then just seeing that as the the main contribution of just like initiating and putting something specific on the table for everyone to react to Mm. is really familiar from my life as a PM, but it's exciting to try to apply that in interpersonal, emotional, aspirational contexts too. Yeah, totally. Part of the speak your intuition imperative is as soon as it occurs to you say it so that you find out whether it's right track or wrong track or like let's not talk about right and wrong but um, in the coach trainings they say like resonant or dull or like resonant or not resonant a lot and so speak your intuition is about like cutting out that loop of trying to figure out whether it's right without actually introducing it into the conversation but part of why that works more naturally is because it's so rare to have a focused conversation about you, <laughs> you know, like as a client, having someone a hundred percent focused on you and not at all focused on themselves is like so rare and fresh that like, are you even used to having someone be like, here's a possibility for you. Like, I don't know. Is, is there anything in here? Or is there not? Because people always have agendas for each other unless they make a point of not having an agenda for each other. And that's like a big part of coaching is um, holding the client's agenda without having an agenda for them. Like I have no, no stake in what happens for you as long as you have a stake in what happens for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that makes it more automatically a safe space because why would I know what's right for you? Like I don't, you know, that's just, that's held in the model where in a, in a work setting, if you're the individual contributor expert, then it is your job in a way to come up with the right ultimate choice or the right ultimate option. And so it can be hard to be like, no, in this part of the discussion, it's my job to come up with any option and then we'll explore what's resonant or not resonant. And then I'll go off later and come up with the final version And, you know, part of being a PM is that I never come up with the final version because I'm totally dependent on other people to execute. So it's obviously not my responsibility to come up with something perfect out of the gate, which is one of the privileges and dangers of being a PM versus like uh, an expert in any of the fields that are Mm -hmm, necessary. mm -hmm. It seems like those, yeah, I mean, it just sounds like the the fields are... Like like you being a PM and a coach, it feels like they're very closely related in a lot of ways. Yeah, that is right. The, I think they should be very related, or for me, they're very related. But there are real differences, too. Like one of the differences is that um, the PM for a product also needs to be the leader in front a lot of the time. So being a leader behind when it comes to generating ideas and kickstarting momentum, but then also kind of presenting the integrity of the finished or in progress product to other people is also like a common part of the role. And I think that that aspect of leader in front can damage the faith in leader behind 
in those generative conversations with designers and engineers and whatever, unless you're really careful about it, like unless you're really giving credit where credit's due and not trying to be the hero who takes credit for the whole thing. Do you see like in the Bay Area or maybe in others, other places too, but like the idea of coaching and some of the tools expanding beyond just like the business business world and because I feel like some of the things that you're talking about would be so helpful even like in school settings or in like hospitals or you know like any institution I mean even like in families you know like we're all sometimes leaders from behind or like leaders on the side or in front you know like those roles and but having methods and tools for thinking about them differently and for articulating and and generating ideas like that seems yeah that seems so valuable I wonder whether whether those whether those tools are are yeah being made accessible in other places yeah I mean they are and it's amazing you know I'm just barely scratching the surface of it but the coactive model which is the whole thing at CTI They've taken it into prisons. They've taken it into war zones. Wow. Like, you know, it's basically, uh, it's broadly relevant for sure. Uh, and the model originates out of life coaching, right? So it's more recent that it's become such a business thing. And it's a business thing because businesses have money and like, <laughs> have, have this lens where a leader uh, or a manager is only effective insofar as they're effective through people Mm -hmm. and therefore like learning to work with people in the best possible ways has great value to the business's outcomes. But, you know, uh, CTI's tagline now is uh, changing business, transforming lives, which is them, uh, which is them kind of acknowledging that business is where a lot of the money is because there's a clearer uh, return on investment mm. where your business can make more money if your leaders are more fluid and effective and empowering. And one way to do that is to break open the idea of what a leader is or should mm. be. Um, but it is broadly relevant. And I think that coaches who are trained Um, and think about the difference they want to make in the world will frequently conclude that what they want to do is like go work in prisons and introduce this model uh, or go work with uh, go work with kids and introduce this model and they talk all the time um, the facilitators in my workshops about how uh, being a co-active parent is a whole thing like co-actively working with your kids um, and trying to figure out what role each of you are playing at any given point mm. in time is really key. Yeah, which I think, like, this was something that the instructor yesterday at the workshop was saying, too. Like, he does it, He does a lot of these exercises with his, with his kids, and he was like, my kid is so much better at it than I am, actually. And I'm like, I'm learning from my kid about how to do it because they're so generative and they have so many ideas that they are, like, not afraid to throw out on the table, you know? Or, like, they're not afraid to embody some sort of dilemma or problem and walk around and, like, talk to you about their perspective, you know? Like, um, yeah, I thought that was that was so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It also makes me think of uh, these two kids who... Uh, got into the habit of generating should we questions when their mom introduced them to the idea of this podcast. And uh, she took a video of them because they were so amazing. They're like, should we drink Pellegrino? Should we, <laughs> should we go to the park? Should we go to sleep? 
And really, that's a lot of the center of should we is like generating a possibility, uh, sitting with it, playing with it, breaking it open, and then letting it dissolve into your life. Yeah, totally. That's such a nice way of describing it. I am, I'm imagining like it breaking open an idea, generating an idea, breaking it open. Like what you're actually really good at coming up with metaphors. So maybe let's see, what could it be? It's like uh, laying an egg, then sitting on the egg, <laughs> and then cracking open the egg, and then letting yolk go everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Eating it with, like, a nice, absorbent, crunchy toast. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's nice. Oh, yeah. Then your, then your toast, your, uh, your crunchy toast gets to soak up some of the <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's hard to imagine a better place to end, so uh, maybe we Yeah, are you going to go have breakfast now? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Actually, I'll probably I'll probably just eat this Lara bar, but let's be real. <laughs> oh no. No. <laughs> Come on, you're in San Francisco. You have to be able to find toast. Okay, I definitely I absolutely can. You're inspiring me. I'll go get toast. All right. Well, I hope you feel better. Thank you. I I'm already feeling better now. We have many people to thank. Should we begin with our patrons? Yes. Thank you to our patrons. You too can join the Love Hate Club at shouldwe.co slash pay. This is a new thing we're trying for season three. We're all about being in it for the long run and per episode patronage through a site called Patreon was the solution we came up with and we're really happy and excited with this so far. Helps us be sustainable. And we would also like to thank Yosh at Faultline Studios for recording and editing this episode. Thank you to the band Canada for our theme song, Hey Garland. Thank you to Math Times Joy for our identity. And thank you to all of our listeners who keep changing our beliefs about what should we is for. Thank you very much. Should you tune in next time? We'll leave it to you. (laughs) 